Lord be with you. And also with you. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Alleluia. Where the dawn of the east meets the twilight of the west, and the cool of the north touches the calm of the south, and the transcendent power of God touches earth in the humility of Christ, here and now, where the head of the Charles reaches out to the heart of the country, we gather for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered in the praise of God for our congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We invite your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your selections, decisions of forms of ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us come Sunday. This Sunday, we welcome guests and family, family members traveling from afar to be with us, and those who may be worshiping with us here prior to the Red Sox game down the street later today. As also, we welcome to our pulpit our university chaplain for community life who guides and oversees our ministry with students here at Boston University, Brother Lawrence A. Whitney. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
Together may we pray. O God, whose blessed Son made himself known to his disciples in the breaking of bread, open the eyes of our faith that we may behold him in all his redeeming work, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Beloved, the grace and gift of pardon and forgiveness itself, its joy and wonder, gives us the assurance, the peace to offer our prayer of confession. Trusting pardon, we may make our confession. So as we have gathered in this Easter season, may we bow for our individual and silent prayers, even as our choir guides us in the singing of the traditional Kyrie. Let us pray. beloved hear the good news if we confess our sins God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness thanks be to God a lesson from the Acts of the Apostles chapter 2 verse 14 and verses 36 through 41 but Peter standing with the eleven raised his voice and addressed them men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem let this be known to you, and listen to what I say. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed this message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 persons were added. The word of the Lord. Yeah. 
Please join me in saying together verses from Psalm 116 with the Antiphon. and my supplications, and has inclined his ear to me whenever I called. The snares of death encompassed me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech you, save my life. What shall I return to the Lord for all my benefits? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful ones. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant. The child of your handmaid, you have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all of his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel.
The Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it is now the third day since these things have taken place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the, ter- the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning with us, within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please be seated. Allow me this morning to publicly express my gratitude to Dean Hill for giving me my very own preaching series. Yes, indeed, you have arrived at Marsh Chapel, whether in person or by radio waves or by internet signals, for the first offering in Brother Larry's 2011 Secular Holiday Preaching Series. We begin today, Mother's Day, and we'll pick up again at the end of May with Memorial Day. The series concludes on July 4th, Independence Day. I consider it the highest honor to have been invited to participate in the life of Marsh Chapel in this way, although I would encourage you to take note that Dean Hill reserved for himself that pinnacle of secular holidays, yes, the very one you were remembering just now from back in February, Groundhog Day. I can only pray that someday I will attain to such a stature in preaching as to aspire to be invited to on so noble an occasion. Speaking of prayer, the Lord be with you. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we gather this morning of Mother's Day and we celebrate the mothers here with us and the mothers for some of us who dwell far away. Keep our hearts and minds this day and all days in the mothering presence of your most Holy Spirit, that the thoughts of minds and the meditations of hearts might be acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Surely you have had the experience of being a passenger in a car traversing the streets of Boston. You are riding along on your way to an afternoon at the Museum of Fine Arts. You know where you are going. Your driver knows where she is going. You sit smiling as you gaze out the windows. Then your driver takes a turn. Hmm, you think. This must be a shortcut. I should pay attention for the next time when I have to drive. Another turn. Really? Interesting. I never would have thought to go this way. Your mind's voice utters. A third turn. Now it is impossible for you to contain your words any longer. Um, where are you going? Well, your companion replies, I am going to the MFA. Where did you think I was going? Yes, I thought we were going to the MFA too, but the MFA is over there, you reply, pointing back through the weir windshield. Yes, dear, says your companion soothingly, but this is Boston. Sometimes it is necessary to circumnavigate the entire city just to get next door. Amen? Where are you going? There are actually two questions bound up in this one verbal ejaculation, but let us begin by taking the question at face value. It is certainly a legitimate question to ask as we consider the journey of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. There is another question that we might wish to ask, along with Cleopas of his companion, namely, who are you? That line of questioning, however, at least at this stage, is not terribly likely to arrive at positive results. 
On the other hand, it is not entirely clear that our where are you going question will lead to positive results, either given that there is, uh, given that there is no clear evidence of a village called Emmaus at whatever distance from Jerusalem. This is to say that we do not know precisely where Cleopas and his friend were going. But that question remains relevant for us. Where are you going? This question may be a constant and perhaps somewhat grating refrain for many of our graduating students here at Boston University. Family, faculty, friends, chaplains, all want to know where our graduates will be going next. Bound up in the question are clearly many other questions. Do you have a job? Are you going to graduate school in the fall? Are you staying in Boston or moving back home or somewhere else entirely? There are broader implications of the question as well, not merely about the immediate future, but about the long term. Do you have a plan? Are you career-minded? What are you going to be now that you are grown up? And the questions have implications beyond merely the trajectory of career and work. Are you going to get married? Are you going to have children? Are you going to be able to put your life together in such a way that you will both be fulfilled and able to pay the rent? Where are you going? In a time of global economic and political uncertainty, it can be especially challenging to even acknowledge the question. Do you have a job? No, but not for lack of trying. Are you going to graduate school? Well, yes, but only because I cannot find a job, and by the way, I have no idea how I am going to pay for it, either now or in the long term. Are you going to stay in Boston or move home? Well, I would like to stay in Boston, but Boston is expensive. And although I really do not want to be the graduate who spends the next two to three years living in my parents' basement, I really do not see that I have any better options at this point. Sorry, dear friends, but here at Marsh Chapel, we do not preach a prosperity gospel, but a gospel of responsible Christian liberalism which is to say that we abide in a realistic spirit with great hope for the possibilities of the future. It is in the spirit of realism that we must confess that the prospects are not what we might have hoped when we began four years ago. And it is in hope that we journey on. It is a funny thing returning for a moment to our pair of companions seeking to find their way to the MFA that the question posed by the passenger to the driver, where are you going, is not really a question as to the destination, but as to the route. This is to say that passenger and driver are both clear on where it is they intend to go. They are both aiming toward the MFA. It is just that the real route of the driver does not quite align with the ideal route of the passenger. Indeed, the real question the passenger is asking when verbalizing, where are you going, is, how are you going to get there? This, too, is a question we may wish to bring to Cleopas and his companion on the way to Emmaus. 
After all, it is a neat trick not only to arrive, but merely to set out toward a village of which there is no evidence of existence. How do you get to somewhere that isn't? It is my great hope that there is a primacy of the how are you going to get there question in the where are you going question. Or better said, inquisition that our graduates are racked upon by family, friends, faculty, and yes, chaplains. Indeed, of the two, it is the more profound. Where are you going is simply to inquire of a single point, and the final point in the series at that. How are you going to get there inquires as to all of the infinitesimal points in between here and wherever it is you may be going. Furthermore, it is not so much a quantitative question about the points themselves but a qualitative and relational question directed more toward the person for whom those points will be constitutive of their life. This is to say that the how are you going to get there question is really a question of who are you and how are you going to be in the world. It is not a question of doing, but of being, not that the two are ever more than theoretically distinguishable. It is a question of what sort of person you are and what manner of being you will endeavor to live into. How are you going to get there? The reason that I hope that this question is the primary question implied in the where are you going inquisition is that this is the question that a university education should prepare you to answer even if it does not prepare you to answer the where are you going question on its face. If nothing else, I pray that our graduates have uncovered something about themselves in their experience at Boston University, whether in the classroom, in the dorms, on the athletic fields and courts, in the dining halls, while studying abroad, while participating in community service, or just walking up and down Bay State Road. This is to say what Howard Thurman said much more eloquently. Do not ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go and do that, because what the world needs is people who come alive. In the final analysis, it is a sense of concrete embodied purpose which only comes by moving through the spiritual process of self-discovery and actualization that empowers those who change the world to transform others, be ye first transformed, and journey on. Now that we have winched tight the Inquisitor's rack on Cleopas and his companion, perhaps we should stop for a moment and ponder the fact that the two questions that spring immediately to mind for us, where are you going and how are you going to get there, are actually not the question that Jesus poses. Jesus does not ask where these two disciples are going. It would have made sense if he had. After all, we hear throughout the Gospels of how the disciples are constantly misunderstanding what they are to do, where they are to go, and most importantly, why they are to do what they have been given to do. 
It would make sense that Jesus would be concerned that these disciples have once again wandered off, and as the good shepherd that he would seek to bring them back to the fold. Instead of asking, where are you going? Jesus asks, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? Jesus is interested neither in the destination nor in the route, but in the relationships built along the journey. If Jesus had been in the car making its way through the streets of Boston toward the MFA, or at least intending to be moving toward the MFA, the driver and passenger would not have been riding along silently such that the first audible sound is the inquisitor's whip, where are you going? Had Jesus been in the car, he would have wanted to know why the pair was going to the MFA. Well, there is a new Art of the Americas wing that has just opened, and we have heard so much about it. Is American art important to you? Yes, we are particularly captivated by the expansive landscapes of the Hudson River School. What captivates you so? Well, I think it has to do with the way the artists work with light so that parts of the painting are illuminated while others fall into shadow. In so many ways, it is more real than the actual view of which the painting is purportedly a record could ever express. Is not this the point of art? Yes, seeing the world in an artistic lens tells us more about who we are than we could ever otherwise come to know. Of course, the conversation with the disciples fails to actualize the potential for such a conversation. After all, these are the same dumb disciples who have been misunderstanding Jesus and his purpose and ministry since the get-go. They are entirely bound up in trying to reconcile themselves to the crucifixion, and now also to the reports that Jesus is resurrected. And so Jesus must turn to admonishment. Oh, how foolish you are! And how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. Once again, Jesus is left trying to bring the disciples up to speed. It is clear that the disciples have a ways yet to go as they journey on. Speaking of journeying on, it seems that this is just what Jesus is intent to do, and what Jesus would have done had the disciples not intervened to invite him to Emmaus with them for dinner. Now, it is important to remember that these two disciples did not yet recognize that this was Jesus, Is this not often our own experience as well, that we fail to recognize Christ in our midst? Often as not, Christ comes to us in the figure of others, the very same family, friends, faculty, and the occasional chaplain who winch us tight on the Inquisitor's rack. St. Francis said, You may be the only vision of Jesus Christ someone will ever see. A dear friend of mine said it even more boldly. You may be the only Jesus Christ the world will ever see. It is indeed a great responsibility. 
It is significant that even though they did not recognize Jesus, the disciples invited him into their home for dinner. The saying goes that you should always extend hospitality to strangers because you never know when you might play host to angels. Well, apparently you may also end up playing host to Christ. Jesus becomes known to the disciples in the breaking of the bread. Of course, the disciples later recognized that they had in fact felt the presence of Jesus as they journeyed together along the road, in the familiar sense in which Jesus had always made their hearts burn. Perhaps, not realizing that the feeling signaled the presence of Jesus, they even took an antacid. That is what you do for heartburn, isn't it? Anyway, they had not recognized him, which is to say the familiar sense of hearts aflame had not risen to the level of conscious awareness. But now that they were aware of the connection between what they felt on the road and what they had felt as they accompanied Jesus throughout his ministry. This is to say that as you journey on, I would encourage you to extend and receive hospitality. In the end, it is neither the goal nor even the path that is truly important. It does not really matter whether or not you ever make it to the MFA. What matters is the relationships you cultivate along the way. This is the good news of Jesus Christ for us today, resurrection and salvation by relationship. I leave you today with the prayer of my order of the Lindisfarne community, that we may be as Christ to those we meet, and that we might find Christ within them. And in all things, make your mother proud. Amen. Beloved, we invite you to come in an attitude of prayer in whatever posture is important in your tradition to stand or kneel or come to the communion rail or to bow our heads together quietly and silently in the pew as we prepare for prayer by singing together, Lead Me, Lord. Gracious God, 
thou whose generosity gives birth to grace. We offer our thanks this morning for those whom we love but no longer see, who in days gone by, by precept and by example, have guided us on the path of faith, whose hands held us, whose words corrected us, whose hugs protected us, whose deeds instructed us. Dear God, we offer our heartfelt thanks for those our teachers, our friends, uncles, cousins, aunts, fathers, and mothers for the generosity of their care. Gracious God, thou whose generosity gives birth to grace, beget again in us in us all, we ask, their heroic gentleness, their courageous kindness, their grace that abounded beyond vengeance. Give us the strength neither to succumb to what we abhor, nor to become what we abhor. A grace that befits those whom we love, but no longer see, who by kind precept and gentle example have guided us on the path of faith, our teachers, friends, uncles, cousins, aunts, fathers, and mothers. To thee we pray, thou wellspring of generous grace. And we offer our lives as our prayer, our daily prayer, to thee. In the name of the risen Christ, who teaches us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you here at Marsh Chapel once again this morning, and we would invite you to put your name and contact information in the red pads found along the center aisle of each pew and to pass the red pad along to your neighbor so that, that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the week. We would point to the chapel website for upcoming services and activities. We would lift up, especially this morning, next week. Next Sunday will be the This I Believe Sunday, where four graduating seniors will offer This I Believe Reflections in place of the sermon. Uh, We hope you can join us for that. Next Saturday, May 14th at 2 p.m., we invite you to a hymn sing right here in the nave of Marsh Chapel, Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. We hope you can make it at 2 p.m. next Saturday. And then, of course, uh, baccalaureate is on Sunday, May 22nd, as part of the university's commencement activities. We hope you will join us at our usual 11 a.m. hour on that day. All other services and activities are available on the Marsh Chapel website, bu.edu slash chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Gracious God, we know that you, are, that you journey with us always. Give us strength to walk patiently by your side. Bless these gifts and the hearts that offer them, that we may serve you more fully along the way. Amen. Jesus Christ, the love of God, the communion of the Holy Spirit, be and abide with each one of us now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>